thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. So we'll get into all the incredible things about your 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 history and business, and you know, obviously the Newman days and fundraising and all kinds of really really fun things. But let's start, if it's okay, just with a, a quick snapshot. I know it's difficult with a career such as yours, but could you just give us a snapshot about your uh, career to date, please? Of course, and and thank you for for having me. It's uh, it's good to be here. So I. Um, Let's start from, uh, from where we are now. I founded Newman five years ago now. Uh, Newman is a men's health company. We're a digital health partner for men. Founded the business in 2018, launched it in 2019. And since then, we've helped about 400,000 men with their health and their well-being across a range of conditions. It's my third business. Uh, I spent the last 16, 17 years being a founder, entrepreneur, and very occasional angel investor as well. Before Newman, I had founded one of the earliest um, social kind of sharing sites when it comes to local discovery and local content. So we built a classified business that was powered by the knowledge and the insight and the opinions of the people that live in the cities that you kind of um, you live in as well, that was trusted places. I started that business, took it to profitability, growth, and eventual exit to Yale Group, the Yellow Pages company. After that, I built one of kind of the first private sharing and messaging mobile apps where we built a fantastic product. We had a great community of users and kind of found some features and some technologies that really help you connect with the people closest to you in meaningful ways. And I've been also lucky enough to be one of the first investors in companies like Count.com and Secret Escapes and a few other uh, less known ones. And before that, I started my career at Vodafone Group, the, uh, the mobile company. And I came to this country in 97, which feels like a long time ago, to study electronic engineering in York. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, originally, I'm from Greece, as you can probably tell. Uh, but um, the UK has been my home for, for quite a while now. Yeah, no, that's, that's a brilliant summary. Thank you for that. And let's go back to kind of 97 when you first came over to the UK. Um, did you ever foresee yourself getting involved in business? Was that even a thought, um, you know, when you kind of got into into Vodafone, you know, was that kind of a, a placeholder and and business was definitely your love? Was that, was that what we'd say? It's actually, um, it's a great question. And it's something I always knew I was going to do. I had a very strong conviction and a very clear plan um, since I was pretty much as long as I can remember, but let's say early teenage years. Um, and I had a vision of what I wanted to do, which involves kind of building a technology consumer business. A consumer, actually, that's that's not exactly right. I didn't have that clear an idea, but I, um, I pretty much executed that plan between the ages of 15, let's say, to 30, uh, quite as I had envisioned it. <laughs> you know, people talk about thinking of something and then making it a reality, and sometimes it actually does work out like that. Uh, and I'm, you, you're going to ask me, like, why that was the case and what inspired me to do this, and did I have an entrepreneurial history in my family? And 
the answer to all of those things is no, not really. Uh, it's just something that was pretty uh, innate and something that I wanted to do. What, what we hear from a lot of people on entrepreneurs who eventually go on to start their own businesses is they are not very good employees. Would you say early on in those days that you were you were a good you 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 were good at taking uh, advice or, or or instruction from from superiors, or were you <laughs> were you okay? Um, I was definitely an effective employee, I would say. I was a little bit different. Uh, I, I, was, I had a successful short career at, uh, at Vodafone. I joined as a graduate, um, the graduate scheme that they had. And I kind of in three and a half years, I was part of the group strategy team that was involved in some big transformation projects. But I the way kind of I achieved the things that I achieved was not kind of the typical corporate employee. I did get into trouble a couple of times from doing things, um, if you like, the not the, the way that they were supposed to be done. I never really, I remember I didn't even like, I would go on holiday without really going through the processes that typically you go and book a holiday. Um, so I just found ways to get stuff done that, um, and I really enjoyed that environment. I learned a ton in that environment. Uh, but yeah, I think I was a little bit, uh, a little bit different, not intentionally. Uh, I just was. Yeah, no, definitely. And let's go forward to trusted places. So you obviously had that for the best part of four years. Um, and then, you know, Yell comes along and, and acquires the company. But, you know, let, let's just go back to those first initial discussions of, you know, kind of whether you were going to sell or not. You know, did you kind of scale that business specifically trusted places for acquisition or did you just have, a, have an offer that you just couldn't say no to? Um, we knew, you know, we raised money. Um, we, I was, I started that business was uh, when I was 27. Um, I was quite naive in, um, in a positive sense, if you like. Um, I had a sense that we needed to get a result for the business. I was a little bit, if you like, uncomfortable with the, um, the notion of, uh, an exit, um, Unnecessarily so, right? Um, I think when you raise money, when you build a business, there are certain opportunities, certain ideas, certain companies that you can take all the way to public companies. There are certain other companies or certain conditions where you just need to find the best outcome, best results for you and your, your shareholders. And there's nothing to be, if you like, hesitant or diffident about. And I certainly was a little bit more at the time. The exit was a fantastic result. It was also an output, an outcome of just looking at where we were in the market, what was happening in that market and what was the right thing to do. So I remember we went out to raise um, a Series A in September 2008. Now, if... Uh, uh, I don't know how many of your listeners would recall what happened in September 2008. I remember very clearly it was the Lehman Brothers collapse. And it was two things happened at the time. Our U.S. competitor raised $100 million. The market closed completely. Um, and also you could see that Google at that time was starting to make the first steps that you know you could see 
they were starting to make the first steps that were indicating that were they were about to start taking a lot more of your attention, your engagement, and your value as a as a kind of Google user. Which meant that the space for companies like uh, us in the classifieds industry was going to be narrow. It was going to be players one and and two, and we had a window of opportunity to make. We needed to make the business profitable and cash flow positive. We had, of course, support from our existing investors at the time. We did do that, and then it was a case of like, where do we go from here? And an exit at that point made the the most sense. Again, you can't really decide that you're going to sell the business and have an exit and just go. Sometimes you can do that. But it's better to have, if you like, companies get bought, they don't get sold if you want to achieve a, a good outcome. So it was more kind of figuring out a way to be in a situation where, where that happened, which is what, what we did at the time. You know, when, when you're kind of preparing for that acquisition and, and, you know, eventually exiting the business, I know there was a bit of a handover period at Yale, but, you know, w- was there any kind of lessons in particular that you learned from that process that you then kind of took as kind of best practice when you were scaling Newman? Are there any that you can kind of share with the audience? One big thing was, uh, and I know this sounds kind of quite, uh, uh, if you like, uh, boring, uh, if you'd like, but... <laughs> The corporate governance, the um, the structure, the operational operationalization of the business uh, when it comes to records, uh, processes, data, that's some of the things that, of course, we did very differently at Newman, as you would expect as a first-time founder, um, taking the business through quite a lot of rapid growth. There was a lot of work we had to do in the end to put it in a position to be ready to be acquired. And that was kind of more uh, painful than it needed to have been. Nothing, you know, super, uh, if you like, major. But that's some of the stuff that we're we're doing very, very differently uh, now. So you kind of start those businesses uh, a few years later and, you know, by all accounts, it, it looks like it's going quite well there, but you end up shutting shop. Now, when you look at yourself, I, I, I believe you were about 36 at that point. Is that correct? When you when you shut those businesses. So, you know, here you are, you've you've undergone this incredible acquisition and, and you know, you've sold a, a first business. Now, suddenly your second one fails. What was your mindset like then? If we can take you back to that, was there a little bit of trepidation? Were you a little bit like, oh, well, you know, was there self-doubt or did that that entrepreneurial mindset of like, that wasn't the right circumstance. I still know that I can do this. Let's let's go on to the next venture. No, there was 100% self-doubt. The, you know, failure, failure sucks. (laughs) Just kind of be blunt about it. It is... uh, when you have put so much into a business um, from every aspect, um, you, you do invest everything uh, in a business, in a company, in a product, in an idea, and it doesn't work out, it is a traumatic experience. Uh, yes, you absolutely take lessons from it. Yes, of course, you can, um, you can frame it in a way that leads to growth, um, Yes, you can take a lot of things that change you and help you become better, but you do go through a period where your confidence is shaken, 
where you go back and you you just feel the effects of having spent all that time um, on something that that didn't work out. And the key thing is, yeah, the is just find the time to recover and go through it. And um, sometimes, you know, it, it's not um, you're not ordained or destined or whatever to be a founder or an entrepreneur, right? It's a choice that you you make. And you need to decide whether that's a choice you want to continue making or there's another path that you need to follow. And you need to find also the thing that will gonna motivate you and something that's gonna be engaged, passionate and determined to 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 give it another go. Um, you also need to take like a, the, a longer view. Um, you need to understand what it is that you're trying to get out of it and you need to have the right kind of support around you to be able to to do that. So yeah, I, I did go through uh, a period of that. I went, I spent some time in San Francisco working for, for a friend of mine. Um, it was a great six, eight months of, I thought of it as a working holiday because it was just so easy compared to what I was doing before. Um, and that was quite recharging and rejuvenating. And uh, yeah, then I started again uh, in 2018. Let's go again to stick on that kind of failure strand. And I know some people find it a little bit uncomfortable, but it's it's good to talk about these things because there's plenty of people who are going through very, very difficult times, especially in this economy now. Um, you know, let's just go to kind of, you know, call it, you know, mid-2016 when you're thinking about wrapping up the business. Was there, you know, you, you get some people who will drive a business into the ground and, you know, bring investors' money with them and try and raise more to get themselves out of the hole. Or you get some people who time it perfectly and just go, you know what, this hasn't worked, unfortunately. I need to walk away. Where do you kind of class yourself in, in that spectrum? And also, did you have a specific moment that you can point to that was like, this, this may be the end of this journey? We stayed with that business um, longer than we should have. And the, the reason is, um, it's not just, if you like, um, determination and grit and perseverance and all that stuff that you need to have. You can't just give up, right? Uh, when things are tough. The reason we stayed with the business longer was because we were using the product ourselves. We loved it. Our families used it. Our friends used it. So we were caught in this, the, the worst possible situation where you have a lot of false positives, where you have a lot of things that are working, you have passionate users, you have a community, you have engagement, but you're missing a sustainable growth strategy. You are missing a um, good monetization strategy. You're missing like, when you look back at it in hindsight, there's a lot of things that are really obvious that are wrong, right? But when you are in that kind of moment, in that journey, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to, to disengage. So we did, um, we did raise money uh, for the business. Um, we were looking at the numbers that we had and we could see that we were somewhere in between of not being able to monetize and grow and we were not able to grow virally either and achieve, if you like, um, scale that you can then figure a bunch of things out later on. We decided to pivot to a different idea, which was AppShot that leveraged some of the technology that we had built. But when we did that, we were very clear that we were going to be very strict about the metrics that we wanted to see. We were going to give it one shot and then we're going to give it another and then we're going to make a call. 
when we did that, when we saw the metrics were completely far off from where we could have potentially done something to, to change them, then we made the difficult, mature decision of actually uh, stopping. We spent the last three months of the business making sure that we gave the tools to people to take their content off the platform, um, give them enough notice, and we had a very, very orderly shutdown of the company. Again, right, you can argue that that's the wrong way to do it, that you should drive the business all the way over the cliff, give it everything that you have, and uh, let the chips fall where they may. The problem is sometimes you can leave quite a lot of damage behind you when you, when you do that, and we walked away without any of that. Um, again, if we believe that there was a chance, maybe we would have taken that other approach, but when it becomes clear, we tried to find a home for the business as well, uh, but we couldn't find one. We spoke to some big companies. We couldn't find somewhere where there was going to be a continuation of the product. We found a couple of options that would have let us walk away with some good jobs, with being able to say that we sold the business, but you know, life's too short. Um, so it was just better to, to walk away and recover and focus on something new. You, you have a little bit of pressure on you, not just with the, you know, your, your employees and the people that you work with to kind of, you know, effectively tell them that their, their job is being wound down, but you've also got this investor pressure, um, you know, where is, is you know, you, yourself, you're an investor, so you know there's risk inherently base, baked into investing, but did you kind of feel pressure about, like, returning people's money? Were you, like, putting a lot more pressure on yourself than maybe, you know, if, if you were if, if you were the investor in the company, you'd probably give them a little bit more leeway to be like, you guys have tried everything, we'll go. Um, you know, what, what was your kind of mindset then? I did 100% do that. I, I felt um, guilty of, um, you know, that we were not going to succeed. I felt bad. I had raised money from friends. Um, uh, I did. It was one of the reasons why we stayed longer than we should have with the business. It's, um, that's a tricky one because you should, you absolutely need to have a sense of responsibility when you raise money from other people, uh, always. Now, the people that you do raise from, though, should be people that understand 100% that they are embarking on something completely risky and they're investing money that there's a good chance they'll never see again. When you do angel investing, that's the, the and you should not take money from people that don't have that mindset. And when I spoke to everybody that I spoke to was um, nothing but encouraging, supportive, and just giving us, um, not only not giving us a hard time, but really recognizing and being quite supportive with the way that we had approached stuff. And it is one, uh, a big lesson that, uh, that I took at the, at the time. Uh, being trans just, you know, the biggest thing that, if you like, the, the lesson that I took away from that is how easy it is to be in denial as a founder and as an entrepreneur, or that's kind of, it's not just for founders and entrepreneurs, right? We convince ourselves a lot of the time. And it is so hard to look at the face, the brutal facts of our reality. And the crisper and more transparent your communications as well with your team, your investors, 
then the easier, the, the, best, the better the decisions that you're going to make. I, it is rare that you have, you do get sometimes things that just blow up in your face and there isn't anything you can do about them. In most cases, if you have sufficient runway, you can see trouble, you can see issues, and you can take corrective action. It doesn't mean that it will always work out, but the sooner that you, you take that corrective action, the sooner you communicate, the better decisions that you can make. So that's the big thing that, that I took out of that experience. Yeah, no, 100%. That, that honesty, I'm sure a lot of people, it's it's going to resonate with a lot, to be honest. So thank you very much for that. But let's come on to, to brighter times now. And, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that social media and social connecting businesses are very, very different to healthcare businesses. Now, you know, obviously, you, you left those two earlier businesses behind, and then you decide to go into, into digital healthcare. Now, how did that come about? And, you know, w w tell us a little bit about that journey. The, the, the core, if you like, the, the seed behind what we do now with Newman. <clears throat> Let me, first of all, explain what, what Newman is. So Newman is a digital health partner for men. So we help men with a range of conditions that affect their health and their well-being, raising, you know, ranging from sexual health to metabolic health and, and weight. And we do that with a combination of medicine, diagnostics, expert help, and digital tools to help you change yourself. So we help you with your biochemistry, but we also help you with your behavior as well. And we try to help you by giving you that pill, that drug that can help you alleviate symptoms. But we also help you underline root causes. And the goal for the business is to help you feel like live the best life that you can, right? To, to use a, a, a simple expression. Now, the, the, the seed for this idea was back in 2012 was... That was the time when I was in San Francisco again. I was looking at what I'm going to do next. And I was very interested in the way that data and technology were really changing the way that we could understand ourselves. We could quantify our whole, if you like, um, experience as, uh, as human beings. It's, uh, it was a movement called the quantified self at the time. It's still there, but it was a lot more popular at the time. And I was really looking at what would it mean to actually gather all these different data points and have intelligent, personalized interventions that help you be healthier. Now, in 2012, it was a little bit too early to take an idea like that on. Um, the regulation was not there. The data that you could get from kind of your environment and yourself was much harder to get. And the ability to actually have a meaningful intervention was a lot harder. Consumer expectations also and consumer behaviors were very different than what they are today. It's, um, we live in a completely different environment when it comes to the way we act on our health and well-being. But that's when I really started looking at the idea. I decided to focus on something different. And again, if you like, the, the connection with Together with that idea was that one of the core pillars of um, living well is the relationship with the people closest to you. It's your emotional health. So the idea behind Together was that by helping you have those relationships thrive and flourish through sharing of more kind of intimate moments in absolute privacy, that was still achieving, contributing to that vision. So when that didn't work out and when I was again looking at what it is that I wanted to really devote myself in, health was one of those 
big unexplored oceans, if you like, of opportunity where disruption hasn't really taken place, where I am personally interested in the problem and where I could see myself devoting a long, long, long time working on these problems. And that's why I decided to, to start Newman. That's brilliant background. That We really, really appreciate that. But, you know, let's kind of just put it in perspective here. You, you definitely need funding to be able to kind of pull off this incredible vision that you have. And, you know, you obviously have ethos and you have a, uh, a history in successful businesses and, you know, fundraising and you have all those relationships, but you're not a healthcare expert necessarily. When you're going into those, you know, kind of discussions with investors or potential investors, you know, what do they kind of prioritize? Do they look at the healthcare stuff and go, experts can help you out with that, but you've got the proven track record or, you know, how, how were those conversations going when you were having those conversations? It depends at the stage. At the beginning, uh, when I kind of, we didn't really have anything other than about 15 slides on um, PDF. Um, it was about track record, it was about the person, it was about credibility, and it was about that initial network that you had. And I was I worked very closely with some people that I had met before um, that were very supportive. We were going to work together on something else. We didn't really work out. They had their own funds and they kind of, we, if you like, worked together quite closely for the first three months in creating that pre-seed round, and um, that's what got us started. And then after that, of course, it becomes a lot more critical that you have the right people in the business. But as a founder, it's if you are an expert in your field, fantastic. If you have like domain expertise, um, if you're building on a history, you know, a track record of building in that industry, that's brilliant. It is not a necessary condition to start. Um, but then, of course, one of the critical skills that you need to have as a business leader is to be able to attract and retain the right kind of talent. And that's something that we, of course, have been focusing on from, from day one in the business. How, how much does your, uh, as we mentioned before, that you are an, an angel investor yourself, but how much do kind of people pitching to you change your uh, kind of thinking when you're preparing to pitch to someone else? Is that is that a helpful kind of background that you have? Yeah, it's I'm, I'm a very also, you know, um, I'm not, a, you know, there are people that are professional angel investors that are a lot more qualified to to speak to it than than I am. The it is so it is hard to really, if you like, um, deconstruct it fully. But when you have people that have that passion, energy, conviction, and something that gives them a little bit of an edge, it does stand out. Um, the kind of all of the investments that I've done that have done well or have been successful, there has been that, if you like, that thing that really stood out. And I had a personal connection with the person and I also understood the business. When I've not been successful is when I have followed others because I kind of trusted their judgment and their opinion, but I didn't really understand what it is that I was investing in. And also I didn't really have a great connection with a person and I didn't listen to that instinct. And I, it, it's been proven, you know, quite a, a strong heuristic. Now, how do you engineer something like that? How do you learn 
to do something like that? Absolutely, of course, you, you can grow and you can get better. But there's a few things that are just, I think, really difficult to pull out and, and tweak and, um, and learn. Like you mentioned, 2018 is when the business started. You only recently kind of celebrated your fifth uh, anniversary. Happy, happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, you, you also recently uh, completed a Series B round, which I believe was $60 million. Is that correct? It's um, That's the total amount of funding yeah. that we've done. Okay. It's a little bit more than that, but, you know, who's yeah. counting? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, we, we recently ran a piece on, on the Business Leader site about new statistics showing that a record number of Series B startups are closing their door for good. Um, and these levels have hit record highs. But, you know, a lot, a lot of that is due to kind of the, the scaling problems that you have. You know, you may be an entrepreneur who's very, very good at kind of seed and Series A level. But as soon as you start getting to the headaches you need for Series B, and that's finding the right people to put around you, that's, you know, just scaling up in general, things become a little bit tricky. How have you kind of found, you know, kind of rapidly scaling this business? Because, you know, again, your journey over a very short period of time has been very, very impressive. You know, how, how have you managed that? Uh, thank you, first of all. That's the challenge and that's the, if you like, the, the growth journey of being, be, going from a founder to becoming a CEO of a business and it's not the same. It's never easy. It's also not something like I have friends who are further down the journey. Their businesses are more mature, they're larger, they are older, they've kind of every metric that you want to see. The age doesn't really make that huge a difference. But what you learn is that you, you keep swapping one set of problems for another set of problems. Your set of problems and challenges never goes away. It just changes. So you go from how do I get some initial capital to get started to how do I get traction and how do I get growth to how do I build a leadership team to how do I keep a leadership team and how do I form a leadership team, which is different to hiring senior leaders. It just doesn't just happen. Um, the only thing you can do is, you know, everybody comes at this. You can read all the books that you want. You can, if you like, try to learn from others. The reality is that all that stuff is really helpful. It's when you actually meet those challenges head on and you get that friction with a problem and with this specific set of conditions that you have is that you learn and you, you grow through it, right? Um, you will make mistakes. That's the only thing that's, that's guaranteed. And you just need to find ways to keep learning and keep growing. And I've been lucky enough to have investors that I can draw on from support and from input. I've been very, um, the way that we work with our board and our investors is very different than you know what I've done before. Um, again, that kind of been open, been transparent, looking ahead, been open with the good the good things, but also the challenges as well. Um, I do have um, worked with a couple of different coaches that have supported me along that journey. But yeah, there is no easy kind of uh, answer to it. It is you, you need to find ways to grow with the business. But I also find that's part of the why I do what I do. And it's part of like the, the rewarding part of the journey. 
how how you find securing that talent, uh, you know, to kind of put around you to help scale this business. And obviously having previous businesses that you've kind of founded, I'm sure you kind of cherry picked the people that you kind of worked best with. But how, how have you found putting those that senior leadership team around you? So that's actually what you mentioned, really important. It's something that I look for when I when we interview people who are senior, I do speak to them about the people that followed them in their careers. Um, I'm kind of really happy that pretty much most of the people that we had it together, it was a small team, but everybody is uh, at Newman um, and has been instrumental in, in where we are today. In terms of finding people, you, you just do whatever you can. You use your network. You, um, we have used uh, headhunters and recruiters that have helped us. And the big difference between, you know, where I am now and where I was, let's say, when I was starting my first business is I'm a lot more comfortable, not only comfortable, but I do expect others to be better, smarter, more educated, um, more, if you like, um, being able to do things better than I can in different parts of the business, right? Uh, when I was starting my first company at 27, I needed to be the smartest, I needed to be the right, I needed to be kind of uh, that person. That is hard. You do have some incredibly successful entrepreneurs that stay like that and they have built multi-billion dollar businesses and that's fine for, for them. And of course, you know, you do have as a founder a very unique understanding and view of the business because you do understand it in its entirety. And as you grow the business, you have people that it's very difficult to be able to do that because they come in different parts of the journey. They're focused in different parts of the business. But I think the main thing is to just be able to trust those people. Um, it's also a challenge to hold those people accountable, to challenge them to help them grow as well. But that's what you, what you have to do. For me, when it's um, the thing that makes the big difference is when you transition from that collection of individuals and start feeling more like a team, when you start seeing that you can have debates, you can have disagreements, you can challenge each other, that's when it starts becoming fun. And that's when you start seeing also the team and the business performing very different. The other interesting thing about where you are in your kind of journey is that you're quite heavy on marketing. Um, and, you know, obviously digital marketing is definitely something. But one thing that you definitely notice about Newman, especially if you're a man who's watching sports, is you guys have gone very, very hard on the traditional TV advertising, which a lot of people say print media is dead. They say you know tv advertising is pointless but you've gone very specific on that and you know the product definitely has a point you know a, a part to play in that anyway um tell us a little bit about that and, and why you decided that tv would be part of uh, part of your marketing strategy like a lot of things you know we we don't necessarily decide them i form a, a view of the world and make a decision and then see through you know from 2019 2023 you try things, you see how they work, you iterate, and if they work, you keep doing it and you get better. If they don't work, you step away from them. And that's what how TV worked out for us. Um, I, it, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that it would have worked, but I had from previous experiences, not from my, my businesses, but from people close to me, I have seen that model work well. Um, in our case, the audience that we 
are interested in the audience that we appeal to, which is men, uh, especially men in that kind of middle of life. If you can reach that audience with a high degree of relevancy in ways that are cost effective, that enable you also to scale as you spend more, then you should definitely be trying that out. And that's what TV was and continues to be for us. You know, again, like we mentioned, you're five years into this journey um, and it's super successful so far. And it's, again, this is definitely the beginning of the Newman story. Um, you know, when, when you look further abroad, you look maybe in the States, you've got Roman and other similar type competitors that you may have. But, you know, what, what does the future of the business look like? Is it more global expansion? Are you looking at growing throughout the UK? Where, where, what's your vision for the, for the next, say, five years of the business? We very much, you know, uh, we are focused on the UK. UK is our, our, our core market. The UK healthcare market is worth about 220 billion on an annual basis. Uh, we have a lot of work to do to serve our patients in the UK um, the best that we can. And we've reached the maturity now where some of the, the abilities and the capabilities that we have as a team, as a tech platform, as a kind of regulated entity across different parts of the ecosystem is mature to be able to do deliver more value to to our patients so that's very very much the the focus that we have having said that if in the next five years we're not an international company um i would be surprised it is something that has always been inherent in the ambition for what we're trying to to build and what we're trying to achieve but it is a very different um, journey. Um, it's something where there are, of course, things and capabilities and lessons that we can take to other markets. The problems, the needs, the trends are, are there. So it's something that we're excited about. But the UK is, is very much the, the focus of, uh, for us. Um, it's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Center to bring you the Good News Postcard. Your question today comes from Ella, age nine. Hi, my name is Ella from St Anne's Church Academy. What superhero would you be and why? That's a great question, Ella. Uh, what superhero would I be and why? Wow, that's probably the most difficult question from, uh, from today. I want to say Iron Man because I always loved Iron Man as a kid. I loved reading the, the books. I loved Tony Stark. Um, I don't know if <laughs> today Iron Man is necessarily the kind of character that you, you'd want to be uh, choosing. But I do love him because of his ingenuity, because he's, he's cool and um, he works a lot with kind of technology and he's an entrepreneur. That is a brilliant answer to a great question. Thank you very much for that. And we are business leaders. We have to ask you the question, what to you makes a great business leader? A great business leader is um, somebody that builds a great business. Of course, I think the... Um, the outcome, and if you like, the, the key judgment is on that. But also the way that you build a great business for me, it's really important. And that is the people, the people around you, the people that you, the, the impact that you have in people's lives, but also the impact that you have in the business, in the people that trust you as a business leader with their time, their lives, and their careers. So for me, a great business leader is somebody that I 
achieves greatness from a business perspective and helps people achieve greatness uh, for themselves as well. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And do you have any final words for our audience today? Um, just to say thanks for, for having me today. Really enjoyed the, um, the conversation. Um, if there's anything that has inspired any further questions or, or anything like that, um, you know, can be found on LinkedIn. Uh, I have quite a distinctive first name and last name, so it can be easily found. And if anybody would like to reach out to go deeper in the conversation on has anything has sparked further interest, I would love to, to speak to them. If any one of your audience happens to be a man and they need support with the health and their well-being, of course, they can go and check out Newman.com. Thank you.